No tenemos ni para el almuerzo y para los niños. We have nothing for lunch for the y children today. to other things, like I said, the annual interactions with our friends and Not family. Not the moment where you, you know, shut your doors and, you know, close all your windows and get on your knees and pray. No, you need to get off your knees and march. You need to get off your knees and become involved and speak out for those people who do not have the agency to do it for themselves. And welcome to Global Inquirer's premiere live podcast. I'm your host, Nico Mersich. And today we're going to be live streaming this episode on Facebook Live. The Global Inquirer is a podcast that uses case studies to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. And we're really happy that you guys could join us both in the audience here today and virtually as well. And today I'm joined on my left by Professor Christopher Ali of the Media Studies Department. He's, uh, he focuses on communication policy and regulation policy and has previously worked for the FCC, and we're happy he's here to join us for today. And uh, on his left, we have uh, Balthazar Marin, who's a prospective politics major and a researcher at the Global Inquirer. And on my right, we have Dominic Giovaniello, a global security and justice major and an Arabic major. Professor Balthazar, Dom, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Sure, so today our case study is gonna look at the Free Basics pl pl platform, which is a platform implemented by Facebook in a lot of developing countries. And basically the idea of this platform is that there are between 20 and 80 applications within the platform and they are free. In essence, they're provided to people and you can access it without using any data. And so the case study that we're going to explain how the Free Basics platform is used is an application of Jobberman, um, a, a job searching app in Nigeria. And from there we're going to jump to why other countries have rejected this platform, for example in India. And the broader global trend that we really want to hit at is the importance of increasing internet access to different communities, but also the dichotomy of the you know, potential detrimental effects of Facebook being the gatekeeper of the internet. And that, that's what we really get at in our title, Innovation or Digital Colonization. So Dom, I want to take it to you first. Can you walk us through this case study in a little bit more detail? First of all, I'd just like to talk a little bit about Nigeria and internet penetration in the country. Over 80% of Nigerians have access to mobile phones, which is incredibly significant in a country of 186 million people. However, only 20% of Nigerians have access to actual internet. Um, there are several uh, infrastructural, social, and uh, economic 
obstacles that prevent Nigerians from obtaining internet access. And so uh, Facebook Free Basics is ostensibly a great opportunity to increase internet access to poor Nigerians and to help improve their economic and social standing. Um, one of the main problems preventing Nigerians from accessing the internet is the rural-urban divide. Um, in rural areas in Nigeria, internet access is way lower than in uh, urban areas. And this is partially due to uh, lack of infrastructure and the extreme cost of extending that infrastructure into these areas. Because Facebook uh, Free Basics uses mobile data and is free of cost, it could potentially be a great means for people in these rural areas to attain internet access. So tell me a little bit about Jobberman and how it's been incorporated into the Free Basics application. So Jobberman is a job searching, job matching application. It's Nigeria's largest job uh, website. It was founded in 2009 by three college students, the same way Facebook was founded by American college students. And what it does is it matches employers with employees and through a very simple interface people can search for a job, find a job that matches their uh, their backgrounds and then apply for it with uh, a couple uh, touches here and there. This is extremely powerful because Nigeria has a huge unemployment crisis. 65% uh, of Nigeria's population is between 15 and 24, 24 years old and 35% of those 15 to 24 year olds are unemployed. So by using technology, Jobberman actually allows these people to search for jobs that they otherwise wouldn't be able or wouldn't know about and wouldn't be able to apply for. And so structurally, how does the Free Basics platform actually work? You know, like how are these people literally just able to get access to these free applications? Uh, so because Free Basics is basically just stripped down internet, you to sign up for it, you just turn on your mobile data, you type in freebasics.com, and you accept the conditions, and you have access to these internet. Uh, applications for free. Anyone with a mobile phone can sign up, go to jobberman.com, use their mobile data connection for free, and search for jobs and apply for jobs. And so um, Facebook hasn't really partnered with Jobberman so much as they've taken it as the poster child for innovation in Nigeria and used it as a way to publicize their service and to promote how Facebook Free Basics can improve lives in uh, Nigeria. And so like why, talk to me about Nigeria's current economic conditions and their state. Like why would Facebook want to provide a service to, to Nigeria specifically? So as I was saying earlier, 65% of Nigeria's population is between 15 and 24 years old, which is Facebook's prime demographic. Um, and because Facebook is losing shares and losing uh, membership in countries like the United States, where other apps are sur surplacing it, um, Facebook is really looking to the developing world and to countries like Nigeria, which has a huge young population, and trying to corner that market. Right. And so let's talk about Facebook's incenti incentives in investing in this project. And this is where I want to bring you in, Professor Ali. Um, a lot of the criticism that Facebook has gotten is that the platform is not built out of true altruism. You know, it's purely a business venture. Well, can you can you talk a little about that? Can you give some thought to that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a, a hope and a desire that that Facebook or that kind of any kind of big tech is going to bring internet to the, the masses, right? The unconnected billion or the the next billion. Um, but there's a couple of issues um, with Facebook Free Basics uh, that we're that we're seeing now on the on the African continent. I mean, the first is a, is a larger question of who elected Facebook the arbiter of what is a basic. 
um, access to the internet, right? Can you ever have basic access to the internet? Um, and it's dangerous when people start equating Facebook with the internet. And we've seen study after study in developing nations where people, um, where users are saying, I have access to the internet, when in fact what they have is access to Facebook. Um, and I think the, the growing propensity of fake news uh, circulated by Facebook suggests that we can have this kind of echo chamber effect. Right, I mean, in fact, in Nigeria, you have 65% uh, of the people think that Facebook is the internet. Exactly, exactly. And that, that, is, that is incredibly problematic. Facebook is a platform on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, actually, Facebook's a platform on the World Wide Web, not even getting to the fact that there's a difference between the World Wide Web and the internet. Um, but another thing that is a little bit disconcerting is that Facebook can pick and choose basically winners and losers here. It can pick and choose which apps fall under the free basics category and we, which apps don't fall under the free basics category. So for some reason, for, um, for instance, Facebook decided that Bing would be the search engine for, um, for Facebook free basics. Nobody uses Bing. Um, another thing is they also pick and choose the ISP, right, the, the telecom provider. So if you are anointed as the ISP that is partnered with Free Basics, you will probably see an uptick in customers, right, as people switch away from one ISP, in, ISP being an internet service provider, how we, you know, our gateway to the internet. Um, suddenly we're seeing Facebook being able to pick and choose which ones they're going to deign with their service and which ones they're not going to deign with their service. Right, and another criticism that I've read is that, you know, right now the service is basically free, but in essence it'll go from free, what they call freemium, to premium. And you, you, can't, you can kind of see that now. So if you go on, like, let's say Jobberman's application, uh, and you want to click on an application, there's a little source at the bottom that links you to a different, a different uh, website. You click on the source and you try to go to it, and it'll prompt you to pay, let's say, 50 cents. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that adds up over time. If you think about, you know, if you use your mobile phone as your source of internet and you're trying to get to these other sites and it costs 50 cents every time, that's pretty costly, especially in these developing countries. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the, and Facebook expected this. In fact, it's part of their literature that they would expect that upwards of 50% of their users of this freemium would upgrade to premium, right? So. By virtue of that, it expected that this would be a pay-for-venture, and it was not just about can, it was not just about connection. They expected that that someone would be making money off of this. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, you know, potentially this could break what we call net neutrality, and this has been a hot-button issue recently in the U.S. So, can you just define net neutrality and talk a little bit about how free basics might break net neutrality? Absolutely. So, free, uh, free uh, net neutrality is the basic idea that internet service providers are, are you know, in the United States, would be Comcast, Verizon, AT and T, any any company that we pay to access the internet cannot discriminate against the content uh, that flows through its kind of pipes, its wires, right? In other words, it can't slow down a service, it can't speed up a service, it can't charge you more for accessing Netflix and charge you uh, less for accessing Hulu, for instance. And this comes out of phone regulation. So back in the day, you know, AT&T couldn't charge you more for calling your mom than for calling your aunt. And in the same way we've adapted this for internet service providers, they can't um, charge you more for accessing Facebook and charge you less for accessing MySpace. I mean, no one uses MySpace anymore. Um, but equally, a problem is net neutrality also encompasses the idea that companies, that the platform shouldn't be allowed to pay ISPs for kind of a fast lane to customers, mm -hmm. right? In the United States, we call this zero rating. The idea that if you're a T-Mobile customer, for instance, you get Netflix, suddenly that doesn't count against your data. Well, that could be a violation of net neutrality because Netflix and T-Mobile have entered into an agreement that that doesn't count against your data. So that's a, that discriminates against 
other video streaming services. And so how does Free Basics fall into this uh, realm of net neutrality then? Well, I mean, it's the exact same thing. Just replace uh, Facebook Free Basics with Netflix and you know Comcast with a domestic African provider, mm -hmm. right? So suddenly Facebook's is offsetting the data surcharge um, of these 80 sites that Facebook has selected it would do. So um, it's, it's zero rating all of these different services, but you're not even getting the full service. It's zero rating, you know, kind of a pared down text only version mm -hmm. um, of it. So um, in that way, uh, should, you know, countries on the African continent decide to adopt American style net neutrality rules, it would be in violation of net neutrality. Mm -hmm. And so not every country has been so receptive to free basics as Nigeria. Um, for example, in India, they actually rejected this platform when it was rolled out a few years ago. And Balthazar, this is what, where I want to jump to you. What happened in India after this platform, after Free Basics was rolled out in India? Right, so before we get to that, let's understand the context in which India found itself in. So it is the second largest population in the world, but more importantly, it is the largest functioning democracy. Um, in the 2014 election, 800 million people came out to vote. So what we have here is a population that has demonstrated their interest. They want to participate in the formation of their future. And in this 2014 election, we saw the um, ex-governor, Narendra Modi, come to power. And he ran on a heavy anti-red tape platform uh, amidst in a, a stagnating economy, high rates of inflation, and they turned to the telecommunications sector. He also ran on his um, track record from his governorship in Gujarat, which is um, known as the technical hub of modernism and innovation and wealth in India. So they turned to the telecommunications sector, which has been recognized as the fastest growing sector in the Indian economy by the Telecommunication Regulatory Authority of India. With 431 million total internet subscribers, there's been a massive increase of use of the internet. Most importantly, we can see that 80% of this web traffic is web traffic from mobile devices. Uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, it's second only to Nigeria. So we can kind of start to connect the pieces here. Uh, enter Mark Zuckerberg. It's pretty obvious why this is such an attractive market for Facebook and the Free Basics program. You have a young demographic willing to participate and grow, uh, who wants to grow, and you have a high use of mobile data. So in 2014, Mark Zuckerberg starts to pull the strings um, and connects the Indian government with his Free Basics program, which is at this point known as internet.org. Um, by April 6, 2015, the very first um, taste of public pushback is, uh, occurs with the Airtel zero-rated service program, uh, and it was outright banned. On September 15, 2015, Facebook notices this public outlash and rebrands to the free basics that we all now know and love, and tries to rebrand themselves as a friendly uh, version of the internet, uh, promoting growth amongst the Indian people. But public outlash just continued to grow, and in January 2015, um, 2016, excuse me, the TRAI accused Mark Zuckerberg of purposefully misleading the Indian public. 
Um, in response to this, a few days later, Mark Zuckerberg pens an op-ed in which he equates his free basics program to other uh, free programs, free healthcare, uh, a free public education. In his most interesting analogy, he calls it um, a modern version of your library. And just as every library doesn't have every single book, he says free basics doesn't have every single website. At the end of this op-ed, he starts to um, make some pretty bold claims. He says that free basics not only doesn't violate net neutrality, but it upholds net neutrality and states that there are quote unquote zero economic interests, zero commercial interests, and he illustrates this fact um, by saying that there are no ads on free basics. How can they be making money off of it? And this is this was met with the February 8th uh, prohibition of discriminatory tariff um, for data service regulation, which outright banned free basics for good in India. And I want to throw this to you, Professor Ali. What was the cause behind this public outcry in India? How did the public, how was the public able to bring this tech giant to its knees? Well, that's, that's, that's a great question. And I, I think what we saw in India was a massive civil society mobilization. Um, Obviously, internet policy, net neutrality policy, um, is not on everyone's everyone's radar, even here in the United States. Um, but they were able to to mobilize hundreds of thousands of people uh, to bring attention to this issue and to really spark a debate about whether or not it was is it better to have this kind of stripped down um, internet or potentially no internet at all, and. Um, uh, eventually, it reached the uh, the eyes and ears of the TRIA, the the regulator of of the, the telecommunications regulator of India, and uh, civil society counted this as a major victory. When in 2016, uh, the regulator said uh, that you couldn't what's called uh, do any sort of price differentiation, um, in which they they equated what Facebook was doing uh, with with changing the prices. You're not in this case, you're not paying anything um, uh, to be able to access. Uh, access to services. So one of the one of the major concerns that the TRIA, the Telecommunications Regulatory Authority of India, brought up is that you can't let, or they weren't about to let, an ISP shape the nature of a user's internet experience. And I thought that was really interesting and really um, kind of progressive of a regulator to be thinking about its users in such a way that the internet is not just a space for goods and services and and Facebook. Um, you know, and, and Instagram, but rather is a place of experience and starting to let a commercial entity, uh, as, as benevolent as Facebook thinks it is, uh, to be able to dictate this, to be able to dictate what books are in the library, to use Zuckerberg's words, uh, the TRIA found highly problematic and ended up saying, in fact, that the internet is not a, what they call a search good, it is an experience good. Um, so really talking about the fact that we use the internet in a variety of ways that Facebook could not possibly predict. And going back to the, the role of the civil society in this, I think it's an interesting comparison to how in Nigeria the role of civil society might not have been as huge. And you know, obviously they've allowed free basics to like continue to exist. And um, you know, there hasn't been too much backlash against free basics in Nigeria to this mm -hmm. point. And I think it might speak to to something that you know Nigeria didn't really have too much internet penetration beforehand, whereas India's internet penetration was increasingly growing over time. So it's kind of like, you know, we'll reject this free basics platform, but given that we already have so like enough access to the internet, what would you say? What would you say to that criticism that you know, for these developing countries with very very minimal internet penetration, 
uh, free basics can actually be useful, and you know you're not worried as much about these ideas of net neutrality or or like freemium to premium. Right, and I think that's a that's a valid concern. Um, if we look at a, a country like India, um, which is maybe what a hundred or one point one billion right now, their internet penetration is still incredibly small. I mean, it's huge compared to the internet penetration of like Canada. It's about quadruple the population, right? But it's still compar comparatively small within the country. So the concern is not necessarily internet users now, but mm -hmm. what happens if this goes on ten years from now? And the entire the world's biggest democracy suddenly uses Facebook as just the internet as the internet, right? So that's one problematic thing. The other problematic thing is about research coming out of Nigeria, which suggests that those using Facebook Free Basics in Nigeria are not actually first-time users. In fact, only one out of ten, according to a study, a civil society uh, study in Nigeria. One out of ten Facebook Free Basics user is a first-time internet user. So it ends up what's happening is it's not first-time users using Free Basics; it's people who run out of data and then switch to Free Basics so that they can, you know, run out their month before their data resets. So I think until we're actually making sure that we're bringing, either we or someone or an entity is bringing internet to those who actually don't have it, who are actually underserved. What we're doing is just kind of providing another route for those who already have this service in the first place, but they're not providing skill set training, for instance, um, or kind of education. They're just saying, here's some, here's some internets, go nuts. Mm -hmm. And so what, would there be any legal precedent to, for example, regulate free basics then, you know, for these countries? Like, would there be, you know, a case to where the governments could be the gatekeeper of the internet instead of Facebook, or they could limit free basics uh, acceptance of applications or try to expand it. Well, I mean, you could you could point to a country like India and net neutrality regulation, um, right? In fact, I actually think that net uh, net neutrality in India could become a global trendsetter, especially as here in the United States we're once again fighting this battle. So we here may not be the, the kind of global precedent for net neutrality regulation, but we've look at the language that India used. Um, to, to talk about the importance of the internet to Indians um, all over the country, I think that that could be a, that could point a way forward. I'm always wary of you know of letting the government be the on ramp, and I don't think the Indian case is doing this. But certainly, we've seen cases in uh, in northern and sub-Saharan Africa where where authoritarian regimes have attempted to what we would call do an internet shutdown. Right? I mean, we've seen this in Egypt, we've seen this in Uganda, we've seen this in Ghana. Um, so that's definitely a problem, but whether or not it's Facebook offering free basics or another another entity offering free basics, if the an authoritarian regime is going to shut it off, they're going to shut it off. Right, and and more importantly, there are some really like palpable implications of authoritarian regimes having control of the internet. Uh, there was you know a New York Times article published recently that talked about um, the case in Myanmar, where ten percent of people think that. Um, Facebook is the internet, and you know only one to two percent of people have access to the internet. And what was happening was um, there was a case of a you know extreme um, Buddhist, uh, you know extreme a high in the Buddhist line, and he basically was you know like uh, claiming a lot of you know, he was basically claiming that a lot of the Rohingya Muslims, which have been uh, Kicked out of Myanmar, in essence, he was he was basically claiming that it was their that their extremism or he he was being very extremist in his, um, in, in, his in his content and what was happening is a lot of the Myanmar users who who had access to Facebook were only seeing 
the content that said, oh, the Rohingya Muslims are very bad. The Rohingya Muslims are generating all this conflict. And so the consequences of having an authoritarian regime have access to the internet and controlling what algorithms and what things pop up on your feed are, are very you know, detrimental in the case of Myanmar. Absolutely. I think as we learned in, here in the United States, I mean, and, and you know, algorithms have politics, right? Because they're built by people. Um, I think the other problem is, what about data security? I mean, Facebook has never been shy to share data with governments. Um, you know, they, they hand over tons of data to, to the American government, uh, for instance. So, we, we, you know, that is, becomes even more problematic in authoritarian regimes. How much cooperation will we see between Facebook and, um, you know, an authoritarian government in sub-Saharan Africa uh, who might start making these kind of crazy data requests? Mm -hmm. And this, well, we've already seen the same thing play out in Africa, uh, particularly in Ethiopia, where Facebook actually kicked off one of the most popular news sites from its free basics portal. And uh, the reason that Facebook kicked off this, uh, this news platform was because it claimed that it was unintentionally causing people to engage with it in a misleading manner. Critics, on the other hand, contend that the reason Facebook rejected this, this application, this website, was because it was highly critical of the government response in the two provinces of Amhara and Oromia. And so there's a clear history of Facebook um, basically caving into government demands. Mm -hmm. And this is especially problematic because Facebook Free Basics is also a partnership with local telecommunications companies. And in Africa especially, many of these companies tend to be either partially state-owned or entirely state-owned. And uh, it's unclear whether these companies would turn that information over or whether Facebook would be compelled to turn that information over in order to retain its market share. So I think one of the most important questions that to get out of this discussion is, are there any viable alternatives to free basics? You know, I think it's very valid to want to expand internet access to more people in the world. You know, having access to information has been transformative in, in development. So are there any alternatives to free basics to where like, you know, let's say, or you simply expand infrastructure? Like what, what are the solutions? Um, well, I, I think there's a couple, um, but I also think that we need to understand that just giving people the internet is not going to do anything. It's not going to solve any sort of develop, development issues, right? You, you can't just, you know, here is some internet, now you are free. Um, you know, it needs to come with, with skill development as well, and that's something that obviously Facebook has, has forgotten when it comes to these countries. I think, you know, initiatives that we could think about that are really interesting, um, about uh, you mentioned the, the, the number of uh, Nigerians who have a cell phone but who may not have um, uh, internet access. Well, if 80% of Nigerians have cell phones, why not do free public Wi-Fi right, in, in cities and towns? Right? That's something Facebook could do. And, and for that matter, why doesn't Facebook just offer free internet? If they're actually being that altruistic, if their mission is in fact to wire the unconnected billion it is within their means to do this. They have the technology, you know. They certainly have the the, mon the money. Um, but then, I, you know, I think there is also a push for just, as you said, greater infrastructure development um, of, uh, of of kind of developing nations. And this is not just about you know forcing uh, a, a government in Uganda to wire the country with fiber, but rather, for instance, there are no undersea cables going to the continent of Africa, right? So. African data always has to flow through Europe, which then comes to the United States. 
So, you know, it's also up to international consortiums to make sure that there are literally the pipes that flow to some of these countries or some of these regions to allow them to, you know, even have access to the kind of speeds and, 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 and services that we have here. Yeah, I know. I think it would be, you know, fantastic if Facebook actually sourced their data in these countries. Absolutely. So, you know, that would not only create jobs for people in the countries to start working at these data centers and developing, um, you know, like working at these data centers and... It would also make Facebook seem a little bit more altruistic in their in their goals. You know, they're not just sending these data this data back to to um, Silicon Valley and back to their data centers back home. They would actually be sending it or keeping it within the country and allowing them to develop the type of algorithms that best suit their you know development needs or development goals. Um, well, getting back to some of the alternatives, there are there are alternatives that. Facebook and Google are actually trying to roll out. Um, recently, Facebook and Google have teamed up and had the idea of beaming internet down from these high-flying drones. But the problem is these are not as lucrative as free basics. These don't bring in that lion's share of the market. And I think that's where you can really see Facebook's true colors coming out. It's not this altruistic um, grandiose goal that they try and frame themselves to be, but it really is at the end of the day about grabbing that market share and expanding as a company. Even then though, not every business venture has to be inherently altruistic. And I would make the argument that extending internet service, even if it's marginal, produces a net benefit to a country, especially if you take a look at Nigeria where 60% of the population lives on $1.25 a day and where mobile phone ownership costs 5% of monthly income, I think any measure of free data is beneficial. And one statistic that would kind of hint at this is that in a survey of rural women across Nigeria's six geopolitical regions, 67% of poor rural, rural women said that lack of internet access was a significant, had a significant impact on their professional and economic opportunities. I think that's interesting too, you know, whether this is a business venture or not, and clearly it is, I think that there's really no arguing here there, but it doesn't matter that it's a business venture. So it's not like Facebook is the only one sitting back and saying, we're going to provide internet to Africa. You know, you have companies like Google, YouTube, also trying to build fiber optic cables and pushing into the continent. So in theory, you know, if all these companies come together, there will be that sort of competition that could drive a more open internet that you see in the US. And you know, so does Facebook even have to be altruistic in, in, their, in their goals to um, expand into Africa? Well, I wonder if we'd be having this conversation if Facebook itself didn't keep saying that this was an altruistic venture, mm. right? Why doesn't Facebook just come and say, you know what? There are 600 million potential customers on the continent of Africa. There are 1.1 billion potential customers in the, in the country of India. There are uh, 1 billion customers in the country of China. We want them, but we're going to try and do a little good on the way, right? I, I think that this would change the nature of this conversation here. Um, but I, you know, but I also think that from a larger philosophical perspective, and this is something that's being debated at um, uh, global events like WISIS, the World Summit for the Information Society, um, is whether or not the internet should be considered a human right. Is it a human right to have access to the internet? And does, and if if we say so, if we if we agree that this is in fact a human right, um, does that change the game at all? Um, and does that change government's obligations? Does that change corporate obligations mm-hmm. uh, to providing these services? Mm-hmm. Is it is it akin to education, uh, a home, 
right? Um, security, privacy, everything that is in the United Nations Declaration of the of Human Rights. Um, should we be thinking about the internet as a human rights? I think that's a viable question. Sure. And uh, from here, I kind of want to open it up to the audience questions. If you guys have any questions, you can feel free to come up. I think Andy, our technical director, mentioned how this would be done previously. So uh, feel free to come up, the first person uh, you have on. Yeah, yeah, come on up, Sean. Hey. Hey, uh, how's it going? I don't think it's true. I really want to thank you. I think that Global Choir has gone a long way. I think this is really, really fantastic. You guys have done an awesome job. I want to thank all everyone who came out here today. But my question to you is, if we think about the internet more as like, um, like an anthill, for example, in the sense that none of the ants that use the anthill know how the anthill was built, and they don't really know how, they really need to know how the anthill was built. But the important thing is that the ants don't really have the ability to tell another ant not to use that anthill. We think of the internet as sort of that same concept. How exactly? Should we allow these governments to tell Facebook that they can or cannot allow this program in a country? Because then in that, in that scenario, we're essentially deciding that this country has a say over the internet and over the people. And if we consider it as a human right, then are we allowing that government then to decide human rights selectively for certain people? Just a thought. That's an interesting question. So if I, if I could maybe rephrase the question is, if, if we think about the internet as a human right, but then also think that countries should have sovereignty over their internet space, do those two things not conflict, right? Exactly. Is that, yeah. is that, and that's, that's a really interesting question, and I think one thing that we're struggling with at the international level is what we would call global internet governance, um, and we haven't had any sort of agreement as to what a global governance of the internet looks like. Um, in fact, the United States often balks at this idea, and they would prefer more of a, of a domestic um, kind of domestic net uh, around around the internet, a walled garden, if you will, and, and certainly we see these types of things in Russia and China and Iran as well. Um, I think you, I, I think that's a really interesting question that we don't have an answer to, um, and certainly I don't, I don't have an answer to, but it's definitely a great question to be thinking about. Yeah, I mean, if Facebook is our, if Facebook is choosing how to curate human rights, I think that you know that could be seen in a good way or a bad way. Uh, depending on who's looking at it. I think it's a pretty scary way if Facebook is deciding what's a human right and yeah. what's not a human right. Um, so are there any other audience questions? Anyone else who wants to come up? Go ahead, Derek. Well, thank you so much for coming out here and giving this presentation. It's really, really cool to hear about it. And I think it's really topical, too. So I think one of the big controversies that Facebook uh, has gotten into recently is sort of how they disseminate ads and how they disseminate um, information, whether it's through their Facebook news system or it's through promoted posts and ads and sponsorships and things like that. So how do you think the role of Facebook in trying to expand internet access to developing countries also sort of plays into this issue of Facebook's control of information in terms of ads, in terms of news sources, as well as how Facebook can be manipulated sometimes, whether by in foreign governments or foreign agents in order to try and influence information and influence um, advertising in um, other countries? Well, I think it's important to kind of look at how I personally feel as if Facebook and internet tech giants are facing a day of reckoning soon. Uh, there is an increasingly large call for regulation of these tech giants. Um, let's put aside the controversy of uh, the most recent uh, election meddling uh, with advertising in America, and we can look to the EU General Data Protection Regulation, which is going to be implemented by the European Union in May 2018. 
And this is going to completely change the uh, atmosphere in which these tech giants exist. And I think we're going to see an increase in these regulations here at home uh, and in more Western societies. But I think it's indicative of what Facebook is trying to do. They're going into these highly undeveloped countries and they recognize that these countries don't always have the same mechanisms of regulation um, that we do. And it's harder for them to kind of rein in these monopolies. So getting back to your question, I think it's very much that's on their mind and they're doing everything they can to kind of subvert what the West is trying to do to rein them in. Um, and we see this time and time again. Um, if you just think back to what happened to cigarette companies in the 60s, once they started to be regulated and once they saw that this was a losing battle, uh, they just shift their target audience. They found a demographic that was young and eager for their product and just moved to Southeast Asia. They literally rebranded the Marlboro Man just with Southeast Asian actors. Um, and it's the free market, so do what you will. But it's, there has been little regulation for cigarettes in these companies, and you know, that's up to the people. But when 30% of all 10-year-olds are now smoking cigarettes in Southeast Asia, and 50% of the population smokes, um, there are problems. And you can see why these markets are so attractive uh, to these big tech conglomerates. Uh, so first of all, I would want to say, to answer your question, Derek, that currently in the current platform of Free Basics, they don't allow for advertisements to come up. So you can't, you, you will never see in the Free Basics platform a Facebook ad right now. You know, it remains to be seen how that will change over time. Now, sort of push back on your point, you know, I think it's a little hard to compare um, cigarettes to the internet uh, just because I think the detrimental health effects of cigarettes are pretty apparent, yet the benefits of providing internet to people, whether that's in a form that's just providing internet and throwing it at them, or actually providing them the internet that they want and the internet that they need, I think that's a lot more valuable than um, cigarettes. I, I agree, but I think that's also what makes it so scary. Um, this is completely uncharted territory. We don't know what the effects of, or we can guess and we have postulations, but we don't know what the effects of having Facebook regulate the internet is going to be and what type of atmosphere that's going to provide. I mean, the causes with cigarettes, you know, you have your medical studies, you smoke a pack a day for 10 years, you're going to get cancer. Um, but for these internet companies, it might very well be a good thing. Um, it's certainly, in my opinion, a good thing for the short run. Um, but it's the long run prospects which are kind of scarier. It could create a great world in which you know, one in ten internet users are pulled out of poverty as Mark Zuckerberg so claims. Um, but it could also set up a terrible system which uh, in the end hurts development rather than uh, helps it grow. Well, just to come back to what Professor Ali said, the, the scary thing about Facebook's free basics platform is that it, it picks winners and losers. So whichever companies or websites Facebook deems uh, high enough quality or worthy enough to be on its platform um, are marketed whereas other apps, competing apps, aren't. And the other thing too is that because Facebook is partnering with telecommunication companies in these countries, potentially at the expense of their competitors, it's also choosing, uh, or it's also picking winners and losers when it comes to providing internet access and that can potentially in the long run have detrimental impacts on prices and availability and quality. Right. 
And so from there, we'll take our last inter- our last question. I know, Kaylin, did you have a question? Um, so you talked a little bit about the impact that Facebook has in disseminating information in countries that believe that Facebook is the internet, such as Myanmar and the, the crisis with their India. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about I know we're talking about how big and scary this is in the selection of information, but is there, and we are saying that, oh, Facebook is painting themselves as altruistic, but are there current plans um, for Facebook to use this as a platform to like disseminate more free speech in these countries? Like, is there communications platforms built into free basics where members of that country uh, that have such limited internet access that can't really communicate with each other in other ways are gonna be able to do that now? Well, I, I can't answer. I can. I can only answer that question, kind of beating around the bush a little bit, because I don't. I don't know if if Facebook's actually come out and talked about. Facebook uh, does not like to be associated with dissent at all, so they don't like the idea of dissenters going on Facebook um, and using, it, even if it's like democratic dissenters, right? Um, so one of the things that we can think about is the fact that Facebook Messenger isn't encrypted. Um, so you need to use another app, otherwise a third party can, can literally read your Facebook messages. Um, in, Facebook can also read your Facebook messages, right? Even WhatsApp, um, which touts itself as end-to-end encryption, is not, in fact, fully encrypted against um, <laughs> Facebook. Um, so, you know, and I don't think we've seen Facebook actually, Facebook Free Basics, at least, go into a lot of politically contentious zones under the banner of we're going to bring free speech to these people. Um, and uh, at least I don't think it's in any of their branding materials. Yeah, I mean, and Facebook does respond fairly quickly. So like once this article came out, Facebook immediately responded and they said that they started to take down the extremist content from the Buddhist leader who was disseminating the, like, the extremist content to a lot of the um, population in Myanmar. So, you know, Facebook does try to react quickly to these issues. But it still remains the case that you know you can't really react fast enough. Their algorithms react far quicker than any human being can, and that's the mo- that's the scariest part. But I think they also are very quick to take down content. A um, couple of examples, right? The Free the Nipple campaign here in the United States. I mean, uh, for the longest time, you couldn't have a woman breastfeeding and a, a picture of a woman breastfeeding on Facebook would be, would be flagged and taken off, right? So so Facebook's algorithms. Um, are so problematic that they can't tell. I mean, you know, there's no, there's a, there's politics in there, um, and that they're inserted into these algorithms. So that's also highly problematic, um, which is that they're slow to take down what we might call deviant content. For instance, they're incredibly slow to think about fake news. I mean, their mechanism of flagging fake news takes months, right? But they're yet they're in te- incredibly fast at taking down uh, content that could be damaging to this kind of moral, holistic image Facebook is trying to create for, him, for itself and around itself. Um, so, I th- you know, this is, this, is highly, this is highly problematic, and I think that's why these types of conversations are so important. Yeah. All right, I want to thank you, Caitlin, for your question and everyone else who asked questions. Um, that'll do it for our episode today. Thank you, Professor Ali, for coming thank on. Thank you very much. Balthazar and Dom, thanks for doing this great research. Thank you. I hope the audience, both virtually and uh, right in front of us, enjoyed listening to the episode. Um, you can uh, like us on Facebook and continue sharing our, our content. I know next week we're coming out with a really neat piece on um, the roots of colonization in South African education. So it sounds very niche, but I hope you guys will enjoy. And uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, Andy, take us out. <laughs>